You're tuning in to the TV Campfire with Caitlin McFarland and Emily Gibson, co-founders and co-executive directors of ATX Television Festival, aka TV Camp for Grownups. This episode is part of our series of special releases recorded live at ATX Season 7. To hear our original The TV Campfire series, please scroll down to episodes 1 through 5. Welcome back to the TV Campfire. Today's live release from season seven is an especially fun one because one, we are full on nerds for TV critics, if you hadn't noticed. And two, we get to pester the Hollywood reporter, Tim Goodman, for missing this panel because of a flight. It was kind of his fault. It was kind of not his fault. We can debate that later. That can be a different throwdown. But we get to give him a hard time about missing this panel for a good long while. I mean, at least until next June. I mean, at least. We're kidding, kind of, but we, we love do love you. you. <laughs> we love all of the critics on this panel, including EW Sarah Rodman, Previously.TV and OG Television Without Pity founder Tara Ariano, and all-around badass Mo Ryan, which is why we wanted to get their hottest TV takes on the record with an old-school debate. And they did not disappoint. True to form, there are also a lot of nuanced and thoughtful conversation about reboot fever, peak TV, quality versus quantity, and other big ticket topics currently in the television ether. All of those things are also in ATX HQ office, like probably right now. Yep, we do talk about them all the time. Ready to throw down? Let's do it. Settle in, pull up a log, put up your dukes. It's Critics Throwdown, moderated by ATX Family and Austin's own Mix 94.7 radio host, Sarah Osborne. Okay, um, I'm going to introduce everybody as they come out. First of all, I will have Maureen come out. She works, well, she does a lot of work, New York Times, Hollywood Reporter, TV Guy, just to name a few. I know, and you have your own microphone and a little name tag. Sarah Rodman is the entertainment editor at Entertainment Weekly. And Tara Ariano at Previously.TV and Extra Hot Great Podcasts. Hello, the TV critics at a TV festival. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Woo. Woo. So we have a couple things that have been kind of predetermined that we're going to start out with that we think are hot topics in television right now and we want you guys to discuss as critics. And the first one is reboots. Reboots are the thing right now in television. Rebooting classic series in 2018 is an effective way for TV to address its role in the current political and social culture. Are you for it or against it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is like crossfire. It's exciting. <laughs> Maureen Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> nay. I say I nay. Um, I think one of my favorite current shows is One Day at a Time. Woo! Um, one of my favorite shows of all time is Battlestar Galactica. So both of those are reimaginings. But I think the key word there is imagining. And I feel like, I think we've all watched this slowly building tide of re there were always some reboots now and then like it wasn't like now it just feels like especially the Roseanne thing kicked off this trend toward anything in your old TV attic like pull it down reboot it and I just think that the word the key word there is reimagining like what 
what new thing are you doing with this? What are you, how are you making it relevant? And I don't, I think a lot of them feel like cash grabs to me and they don't feel all that well thought out. And so I'm, like, I'm not um, happy about that. old bands go on tour, get the band back together and like, <laughs> is everybody really into it? And it, it, it is the difference between reimagining something like, I actually really like the new Will and Grace, but I'm not sure that they're necessarily doing anything different with that. Mm -hmm. But I think what they're taking with their original formula and because they still have that chemistry and because they still have the same writers and because the world at large is such fertile ground, is that the way to put it, for like talking about things, that that's really successful. So I mean, I, I just think you can't be pro or con reboot in general. It's a it's a case-by-case -case basis. And I just wanted to say, anybody that's in the room for Tim Goodman, we're so sorry that he's not here, but we also are enjoying the uh, lady power on oh, stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Tara. Uh, well, just to that point, one of the biggest drags about everything that happened with Roseanne is that the original show actually holds up and I had been doing a rewatch before the latest season premiered and a lot of it is still feels very fresh and current. I mean, there was, there's a cold open that's just uh, a congressional candidate coming to the door and trying to pitch himself to Roseanne and she challenges him back on like, what are you going to do for this community? How are you going to attract jobs? Are they going to be union jobs? Like really still 25 years later was still perfectly relevant and now you know, you can't even watch the old show anymore because of everything that happened. Well, you can't on I'm gonna Amazon. I'm going to stop there rather than get sued. Yes, that's Amazon. true. Amazon still is still your outlet for old Roseanne. I, I actually think, like, I do agree with you, Sarah, that it's, it's case by case. I guess I have an overall sense of wariness that has to be surmounted. And one of the biggest cases for me that was, like, I think because it has to be case by case because Will and Grace... For sure, there was a topical element to that that translated, but in a way, it's a little bit of a like, a, like you can pick it up and move it and not change it around too much. It still exists in the modern context in a similar way. Whereas something like the X Files, I think the world became one giant conspiracy theory while they weren't around, and like, I mean. Uh, how many of us are, were old enough to watch X-Files in the first run? Like, you know, that was a different world. It was like the weekly world news was out there. There were maybe some, like, conspiracy theory, like, newsletters, and it was, like, print, and you had to, like, go... Like, the new, the internet was kind of starting then, but it wasn't really what it is now. The president wasn't retweeting Alex Jones right. in those days. <laughs> exactly. So, I, my, you know, it's not that there weren't good standalones in the new version of the show but I found that the mythology which had always to some degree struggled you know it was never like a perfectly made thing in that sense but it just felt like the world changed but the X-Files was convinced that it didn't it could just be what it was 25 years ago and that just felt really jarring to me so I think we're saying no overall for reboots, but maybe on a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, it depends on what the idea is. I okay. mean, I feel like so often when we talk to people when this happens, the thing is, how are you going to make it different? Mm -hmm. Like, what's your idea? Yeah. If, if your idea is just to let's go make some money, well, that's not very interesting. I mean, it is for you and like your <laughs> vote or whatever, but like maybe not so much for viewers. Okay. And I feel like I'm sure you guys have this too. When you talk to people, you can tell, like if you talk to Diane English about Murphy Brown, maybe you would get excited in a way that you wouldn't when talking to, you know, somebody else about some other show, and I'm not going to throw shade now by naming names, but you know, the shows that Knight don't Rider. work as well when they're rebooted. <laughs> Knight Rider, the new one. 
I watched it. I don't. I don't know what it's. It was a very weird time. What's? <laughs> it's a weird time. Um, I think though. Can I throw out a question to everyone, including you? Yeah, sure. Um, there are reboots I really, truly never want to see. Like I just, I feel like what we're denied sometimes is an ending, and I yes. think that endings are important. Like. I will, like, this was supposed to be a critic cage match. I will actually physically fight anyone who tries to reboot The Leftovers, say. Or, oh, yeah, oh, okay. for sure. You know, and, and also just speaking of the Lindelofian universe, like, Lost, I don't, I feel like every time you go back to certain things, you kind of, it, the, the, the chance for diminishing its legacy is great. So are you, guys, are you do you have any that you don't want to see? Oh, off the top of my head? Um... I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think of shows when they end. I love when shows end because it is like a death for me, a loss, and I cry for a couple days. And and it's like a changing of my life. And it's like I'm getting older. And now that part of my life is, is gone, you know? And so I don't need it to come back. Like, I don't need parenthood or brothers and sisters. Or I'm trying to think of other shows recently that have affected me to come back because that was, that was the past. I want to make new relationships. Plus, the other thing that happens so often in series finales is you get a flash forward to like where their lives ended. Six Feet Under is a great example of where you got to see where everyone ended. Do you really want to see what happened in those intervening years? No, because the way it ended was perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem with so many of these revivals is they have to be like, forget about all that stuff that happened in our former series finale. <laughs> Will and Grace great. never had kids. You're crazy. Like, And they had to do that with Roseanne, too. Yeah. Where it's like, if you already had an ending to your show, that's the end. Like, come up with a new idea. Sorry. I don't want to see Don Draper like oh. hitting on women at the retirement home. <laughs> no. Well, maybe. Actually, I mean, let's think about okay. it. All right, well, all right. That. Yeah. All right. So that. let's move on to the next topic: too much TV or too little, or too much TV, too little time. Uh, so here's the claim: it does not diminish a great show with a slow or rocky start to recommend that viewers jump in mid-series. And go back to watch rewatch later or skip chunks of a series entirely. I am against this. You are against this. Oh, I'm pro. I know. Uh -oh. and I, know like, like, I feel like most people are probably pro this, but I'm just one of those people that I like. I know that maybe Brandana once doesn't matter at the end of Parks and Recreation, <laughs> but like I'm glad maybe. I knew who he was. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it, he wasn't the most important character, and that wasn't the best part of that show. But I'm just like OCD about like symmetry. Uh -huh. Like and and also if like I start watching something, I watched all 15 seasons of ER, y'all. Like every single one, because once I start watching, I have to watch till the end. So that might just be me personally being insane. Okay. <laughs> so no. Uh, I've jumped in later in series a lot. Recently, I just started watching Mom, like because the TV Land reruns were on at a time that was convenient to me when I lived in Hawaii, where they were on at like four in the afternoon, which is perfect. Um, and then I went back and started season one, and in a way, I kind of wish I hadn't, because season one is not that great. Like, I don't care about her kids. Sorry. Um, but I also I had watched like the Happy Endings premiere and hated it at the time, and then stopped, and then everyone went crazy about the whole first season, including you, Mo, you were one of the tastemakers that I listened to. So I started with season two, loved it then, and then went back and filled it in. But I actually didn't like the first, I was really cranky, because sometimes by mid-season, like, in mid-season and TV can often mean, like, March, April, so by that point you're like, meh, <laughs> I hate everything, no. 
So I actually didn't, I didn't like it at first. It was like very, like, I think it was a little, a little more great, <clears throat> a little more grating at first, but I definitely think that there's, there's like, again, it's a case by case thing. Like you can jump in on a comedy. Like I, like I could sit down and watch a big bang theory and like, I would get it. Like, I think I don't, I don't think I'd be missing like that much, but you're also looking at someone who's watched 14 seasons of Supernatural, and if someone came up to me, when should I start? I'd be like, oh, dude. How, I actually did do that for a while. I would be like, here are the top 15 Supernaturals, blah, blah, blah. And then it's not, like, now I'm like, I don't, it's on Netflix, man. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. You definitely have to watch the Haunted Truck one, though, just so you get all the in-jokes later where they rip on themselves for having done that. Like... Speaking of just too much TV, has y'all's jobs gotten harder or easier now that I feel like there is so much television out there? I'm watching television right now. Are you? You just don't know. <laughs> I'm glad you gave me a couch because I'm just going to start napping. <laughs> but we want to be really careful about this, especially because, like, I have a friend who um, cleans septic tanks for a living, and it's a very lucrative job. And it's a good job, and it's an important job, and it's a job that we need done. And, like, but he cleans up the tanks for yeah. a living. So, like, part of our job, and it's not our whole job, but part of our job is to watch television. Like, in the grand scheme of things, that's a blessing. Right. That said, oh, my God, it's too much. <laughs> right. It's a good answer. For a critic, I would say that's true. But as a consumer of television, I would say more TV just means more better because it makes you be more selective. Like, there were definitely a lot of shows that I was watching for a long time until I realized, oh, I could just watch all the shows I would rate an A and then anything that's, like, B minus or less, I don't have to watch that anymore. Sorry, Suits. You know, like, there's a lot of shows hey. where it's, like, there are reasons to watch it. Sorry I feel Suits is here. Um, but, like, there's, you know, there's shows in that tier where, like, maybe there's shows you put on because you want to see people's outfits and that's it. You know, you have it on in the background while you're working. Mm -hmm. You want to see their suits. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I just think it means you have to up your own standards for what you actually spend your time on. And I will quit a show mid-episode and never come back. <laughs> like, well, I, do that I actually a lot. think this is why it's so all of you in the like having social media um, is really helpful. Having other critics in your sort of like community of writers is really helpful. Just other friends, fans, because a lot of us do just watch one or two and then we check out, but people come back to you and say, oh, this is really good. I mean, I really, I feel a couple of different ways about the sheer amount of TV. One of them is what Sarah said, which is like, eh. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to um, have an intelligent, informed, enthusiastic, or even, you know, negative take on something that's not just, this sucks. You know, like you want to be more, more, give more depth, give more context to things. And I do think, one of the things I've always thought is that as people who write about TV, we're not smarter than you. We're not better than you. Well, in some cases, we're a lot worse. Um, but what we bring to the table is that we know, we, we've seen the landscape. Like, we know the territory. We've seen most pilots, at least, and most new shows. We kind of know... I can say for you, oh, if you like Suits, for example, <laughs> Sorry. which is a show on USA that I like, <laughs> but like if that's your thing, like, oh, you should also watch this or that, you know, like we can kind of be your human algorithm. 
but so so that but it is a lot it's really hard to have that feeling right now where you're covering the waterfront and you kind of feel like you have a handle on things that being said the best development of the last few years is that um the kinds of shows that are being made in the, in the array of people who are allowed to be creators and storytellers has expanded, which it has needed to do for a really long time. Absolutely. And one thing I, I think a lot of us fear is if the gates start closing or if the numbers of scripted shows starts dropping, um, you know, that might change. I, I don't want that. Yeah, the great thing about Too Much TV is we're actually getting it from voices that we have been unrepresented before right. and underrepresented. So if we can't change to gatekeepers while it's big wide open and mm -hmm. it starts closing, those marginalized people go back to being marginalized, right? right. So this is... And they still are. I mean, this is, it's not like, we've, like TV has been fixed from its <laughs> manifold problems. So I, yeah, that's a huge thing for me that I think that it would go back to business as usual, which even today still means that like it's still hard to make it to having your own show if you're from a marginalized community. Um, the third topic we want to go over is runtimes. Claim traditional broadcast length runtimes are a thing of the past. The newfound freedom on some platforms to break away from traditional runtimes is a benefit to both viewers and creators. Do you agree or disagree? Or have no opinion. I mean, I think the story should be as long as the story should be. Okay. And I don't think that if you have a comedy, it should be 23 minutes long just because that's what the, you know, restriction. I mean, it used to be 24 minutes. And so, I mean, I don't think it matters. I, I think the only time that it's bad is sometimes on the cable or streaming platforms where you could have gotten this done in an hour. And like yeah. you're making, you're giving us an extra 20 minutes, but I'm not sure where the extra value is in it. But if the story is 80 minutes long, then great. I mean, I don't think, I think it's that simple for me. I do sometimes think it's cynical when you see something where it's like 62 minutes on your DVR. It's like, come on. <laughs> you could have <laughs> cut minutes two minutes. Or you, yeah. Right. Or you could have, you know, shaved off those two minutes of ad time. But I will say, a lot of times there are shows that should be a half hour that are an hour for no reason. And I definitely yep. felt that we were, um, for Extra Hot Great this week, we watched Glow. And watching it again, I thought, this really proves... Orange is the New Black should be a half-hour show. <laughs> like I've, I mean, they're from the same creator, but like I think a lot of times more is not more. No, I definitely, I mean, I completely respect, you know, we've all talked to many TV creators over the years, and they, we understand and sometimes truly also ha share the frustration that they have of like, if you have 42 minutes, you're really just servicing the plot a lot of times. And so much of what's great about TV is that it's delving into characters and relationship and psychology and all of that. But I think it's very rare for me that an episode of TV goes over 60, 65, or 70 minutes and earns that. It's like, I just, I find that, I call it um, disassembling the, the hamburger. And if you go to a really great restaurant, you have their amazing burger, it's amazing because it's the bun and the lettuce and the cheese and whatever it is you like, and it can be vegan. I'm totally open to that. But, <laughs> but like, it's all those things together. And I find what, what, a lot of times when I'm watching a show these days, oh, okay, I understand if you want to break apart. This is a scene where it's more just two characters we just like seeing together, or this is a beautiful composition, or that, like, now I feel they're just part breaking it apart into atomic pieces and just stringing them together. It's like, you know, while they were in that beautiful composition, they could have had that conversation that you dragged out and put over. Like, it just feels like, 
there's a level of indulgence that happens sometimes where you've gone away from serving the viewer and serving the story to just doing whatever the hell you feel like because you could. Because you can do something, not always a reason to do something. Game of Thrones an exception to all these rules. They can be as long <laughs> as they want to be. I don't care. I will watch it all. More dragons. So as TV critics, TV creators... I'm just curious, as someone who knows nothing about your industry, are, do they love you? Do they fear you? Do, and vice versa, what's that relationship like when do you're at a party you, in do L.A.? You, you know? <laughs> that really depends. Case by case. <laughs> it's weird. Um, I think, I, I mean, I find as a writer that I like it when people just engage with my work and read it and try to grapple with it. And even if they don't agree with it, they've tried to, if they, if someone comes to me and tries to have a good faith conversation with me about something I've written, I just appreciate that. I'm like, oh, thanks for reading or thanks for listening or whatever it is that they've engaged with. So a lot of the last 15, 20 years, I think there's been a lot of really interesting conversations that have had where people have talked about their craft and their art. And I, whether it's a composer or a set designer, a production designer, like, a creator, an actor, if you walk into the room and you have seen every single minute of that show and you have reasonably informed questions, even if some of them may be challenging, more than, more, way more often than not, they are actually willing to engage. And I think a lot of people are willing to have actually difficult conversations that I, sometimes people I wouldn't expect. Um, there Name are, names, like who? <laughs> Kurt Sutter. I once had a conversation with him about a a season of Sons of Anarchy or a development that I just thought was questionable, and he was perfectly happy to talk about it. And like, you know, he, you know, I didn't, I mean, sometimes it's, again, I think it's that issue of he feels, the the creator feels passionately, uh, if you're lucky, actually, about what they made. And so they might sometimes they are thrown off by having to necessarily defend it. Sometimes they realize, oh, in, in, in that story that I told, maybe I didn't convey the thing that I wanted to convey in the way that I wanted to convey it. So I think it's a learning process, and they get that. I mean, I do also get that it can be hard to have your feelings hurt, you know, and I, I do get that. So I, I don't know, I try to, like, yeah. tread lightly And I think I it also depends, I mean, it depends on the person and what their temperament is. I just to say, generally speaking, when when you are meeting with all of the people that Mo mentioned and the executive producers and the the writers, like people are excited that you are excited. Like we wouldn't be writing about it if we weren't interested on some level, maybe if it isn't our favorite thing, but we're still interested in it and we want to tell people about it and help amplify the message. But I will say that I think that there's probably more excitement because it's a exchange when you're writing a feature story about the whole show and all the actors and the writers and the cast and the costumes or you're breaking out something like that as opposed to a straight review which they might not like quite as much because that's sort of more of a one-sided situation um and you know criticism of anything in any field you know getting criticized by your boss in your office is hard so like you get that and when you add to the level of like this is a really personal thing for me as opposed to you know this is my story this is something I'm telling as opposed to like this is the budget for the month you know what I mean like that hurts but when it's like this is my childhood where I was beaten by my father and you think it's bad like that's gonna hurt somebody's feelings so I mean I think it depends on the kind of thing you're doing but I will say personally 
I feel like they like me more now that I'm an editor and I'm not a critic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to answer, Tara? Oh, I tend to only hear from people these days when we're positive, which is nice. I mean, Good. I think people are, are, I hope, are getting smarter about like staying off social media or engaging with it. I'm, my old site, Television Without Pity, that was different. And the people that we used to hear from a lot, they were very excited whenever we would cover it, even if we were very critical and would you know, come out and get interviewed and stuff. And we're generally very enthusiastic about that with one famous exception. <laughs> <laughs> Who could it be? So I'm going to ask a question. This might be hard to answer, um, but the TV debate you're tired of having, and then on the flip, the TV debate you wish we were having. Hmm. Why don't we let that marinate and move to the next question, and when it pops into our head, we'll yep. answer okay, it. Okay, that's good. Um, how Not much to TV run things, sorry. No, how, I'm so no. bossy. <laughs> this is a ever-changing ship right here. So what? how much television are you guys watching? I don't own a TV. <laughs> I only watch PBS. By the way, people, is this everywhere? People in Austin love when they don't own a TV to brag about it. It's like, I don't own a TV. Okay. okay. People Sorry. used to walk up to me. I'm sure this happened to you too at parties like, oh, you're a TV critic? I don't watch TV. I don't own TV. I'm like, oh, okay. You're an accountant? I don't believe in numbers. <laughs> what? Like, why would you, like, why, why is it okay to, like, flat out? insult somebody that way. And also that's meaningless now too because do you have an iPod? Do you have a laptop? Do you have a phone? My sister is, God yeah, bless they her, all I can't have even Netflix, they're like, lying. She'll be like, I don't watch TV and I'm like, I just literally saw you in your car binge watching like three episodes <laughs> of Justified. That's watching TV. Just because you're doing it in your car on your phone, like secretly doesn't make it not watching TV. That was, that was my... <laughs> Sorry, Alice. My big thing in the early aughts was like people saying, I don't watch reality TV. It's like, well, 20 million people are watching Survivor. There's somebody out there watching it. And I'm like, oh, well, I watch Amazing Race. Well, that's reality TV. Amazing Race is still that. I don't know what you're... Maybe that's the debate we're tired of having. Like, should I watch TV? Yes. yes. You should watch TV. <laughs> There's so much good TV. Don't watch crappy TV. Yeah. It is interesting how people will use television as a barometer to how smart they are or not how smart they are, right? They're very proud to tell you if they don't or what they I watch read or what books. they books. Right, I read books. Like, is, like we don't all read books. Right. About it, TV. <laughs> what are books? They're things TV shows are based on. If they're lucky. I still don't get it. More great conversation from around the TV campfire is coming your way right after a quick message from our sponsor. It's hard to find a perfect pair of jeans, right? You don't want to break the bank, but you do need something that lasts. Great jeans don't have to be complicated, nor do they have to be expensive. That seems like a new theory. <laughs> well, with Distilled, it's free shipping both ways. So, like, really, what do you have to lose? So, if I order a pair and they're not right. Like, for, they're too big, they're too small, they're too short, they're too long, they just, you know, don't make my legs look as good as I want them to, I can just put them back in the mail for free. Yeah, and you can get a refund or exchange them. There's, like, no risk to this scenario. The truth is, you will find the perfect pair. What's better than saving time and saving money? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Well, great TV is also maybe better than that, but here's the thing I was thinking about. When you're watching TV, like, you want to be in, like, really comfortable pants, right? Uh, yeah, there's nothing worse than watching TV 
or a movie if you're a movie kind of person yeah. and being uncomfortable and having your pants too tight. So I got the like black power stretch ones. And what's really cool about them is I can wear them to work or on a plane or into a meeting or on my couch watching a bunch of TV. A pair of pants that can transition from all of those places is kind of a miracle. It's like What's another version of Sisterhood, the traveling pants? It's like, but for yourself, like, right. you're the different phases of your life. Yeah. <laughs> These black pants that I got, like, I was, I, look, I'm going to be honest. I was doubtful. Like, I thought I'm ordering these online. They look a little too skinny for me. Like, they just, they don't look like they're going to work. And they are the right amount of stretch. They're super comfortable. I wear them maybe more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. We have very different body shapes. So to have jeans that fit both of us. Yeah. It's kind of magical. So here's the deal, guys. Go to Distilled, which is dstld.com right now, and you can get 20% off your first pair by using the code TVCampfire at checkout. What are you waiting for? Seriously, go. As TV critics, do you guys have guilty pleasures that you would never write about? I reject the notion mm. of a guilty yeah, pleasure. We're not talking about suits anymore. <laughs> If no you like something, talk. that's own that. Okay. You know, I can like Frank Zappa and Rick Springfield. Those mm-hmm. two things don't cancel each other out. And if somebody thinks I'm lame for that, that's on them, not me. Still the most popular uh, feature, uh, editorial feature on our site, previously.tv, is from two or three years ago. And it's about an episode of Catfish where a young girl was contacted by someone who claimed she was in contact with her father, who killed himself in prison after stabbing her pregnant mother and, like, claimed that she was a medium and, like, this this guy was from beyond the grave getting in touch with her to get in touch with the daughter. And that's still... Like, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing to be guilty about. And there are definitely people who are still Googling that today and finding the story of Kayla and Frankie and the raccoon that might have been Frankie reincarnated. And I'm not even joking. Google it. They should turn that into a book. <laughs> yes. People would read that. That's, no, I, I totally agree, though. Like, I don't, I don't believe in guilty pleasures at all. There are people who kind of, like, do want to come at you with that whole thing of, like, well, I only watch, you know, The Sopranos, and I only, like, engage with the highest level, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, like, I, I actually think a lot of people kind of going for that prestige thing actually misunderstand how fully entertaining and funny a lot of the best shows could be. You know, like, The Shield was, like, incredibly well-plotted, and The Sopranos could be incredibly funny and just goofy. And, yeah, Mad Men was, like... So I think a lot of shows try to, like, imitate, like, a a uniformity of tone that is kind of grim and down and negative. That does not signify that you are serious and have a complex intent, that signifies that you've basically misunderstood like 80% of dramatic television. It's <laughs> like, it's just so, so I think, um, I th- I think people need lots of different things. Like I definitely feel like in the last year or two, I have needed escapist TV. And I feel like one of the reasons we're really lucky right now is because there's so much escapist TV like One Day at a Time or Jane the Virgin that also does engage with the world. So it's very smart. Blackish is like that for me, too. It engages with the world and its problems, but you end up feeling at the end of it like like 
not that feeling of we're all going to die, which I'm yeah. not a fan of. Everything is brown and dark green, and you're rooting for somebody that kills people. Like, I love the good place. It's like red and green yeah. and purple, and like, but it's like saying something, and it's funny. But like, Sarah, he's a sad white man that killed people, and I, yeah. <laughs> Rooting for you, Hannibal. No, I, like, I, I really like Hannibal. I like I like calling it escapist TV because sometimes after a long day you just want to sit down and not think very much. But it's still a really good show, and you just want to yeah. laugh. And you but you don't want to have to like like I couldn't just sit down after a long day and watch Westworld because it's slightly exhausting to watch. You have to watch every bit of it, and it's wonderful. But after a long day, like I'll fall asleep five minutes in and then have to restart it. But I can watch The Good Place and just like decompress. Yeah. I think that shows like that, like it's no, like I've always thought it's not any easier to make a good comedy than it is to make, it's really, it's very, very hard and the level of craft, like I was a fan of Burn Notice, I watched every episode and I don't think that, you know, people making some grim, dark, serious streaming drama are working at a higher level of craft than the storytellers of say like burn notice or the, like definitely the good place is way high up there but it's it's hard to make tv it's very hard to make good tv it's really really hard to make good tv that's meaningful and i mean i feel like yes there's a lot of it but i i feel lucky that we have a lot to pick from right now to your point i'll also say no one can tell me the man in the high castle is darker than teen mom too cuz it's not <laughs> And I think that's what you're talking about more, yeah. like Real Housewives and The Bachelorette and like that kind of thing that people, I think... Consider like, guilty. Like, Real can, Housewives. Feel, like that yeah. stuff is in my cup of tea, but like I'm not judging you for watching it. That like it's just a different really kind good. of storytelling. <laughs> Thank like, you. Like people enjoy yeah. that and it's yeah. fun and they like flip tables and have fake fights and yeah. look crazy. Like I can see what... I mean, it's not for me, but I can yeah. see why it's appealing. So yeah. don't feel bad. Watch your Real Housewives. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think the only TV where I'm like, no, you're bad, you should not exist, is like, just really tired stuff. If it's tired, like, if it's really tired, like, oh, we have to catch a serial killer every week and he's killing attractive co-eds on campus, it's like, nah, nah, we're not, we're not doing, like, I feel like there are dumb shows that are just dumb and they're not for me or like, I just don't like them or I think they're badly made, but shows that put actively harmful ideas into the world or reinforce actively harmful things. That's where I'll bring down the hammer. And it's like, I will, I will be on I'm going to say, I'm going to name, name a name of a show. Ooh. <laughs> As a critic, I do try to keep in mind hundreds of people make every show. All of them are allegedly human. Although I don't know, Westworld might be like churning out shows out <laughs> back. I don't know. Um, so, I, you know, you try to keep that in mind. There's a show called Killer Instinct that came out in 2006, something like that, mid-aughts-ish. And so it was, um, it was like a serial killer of the week on Fox. Um, it was always like attractive white women being trapped in cages underground, and they were always like in their underwear, obviously. And it was super graphic, too. Remember so that, graphic. Like, that opening scene was like crazy, bloody, yeah. horrifying. She was terrified. And there was a scene in the second episode where the victim was a woman who'd like been dancing around the, her apartment in her underwear, as you do. 
I mean, most women, let's face it, we spend like 60, 70% of our time doing that. Um, when we're not watching TV. When we're not watching <laughs> While TV. While we're watching TV. So, she, so like, they, they find her in the morning, and she's not only been assaulted and killed, but blinded. Her eyes have been plucked out. And I'm like, well, if that's not a real metaphor for, like, how women are viewed on television sometimes. I, w- I actually sat down to write that review, and I'm like, I want to make this showrunner's mom ashamed of him. <laughs> I want her to call him up and say, I didn't send you to Yale to do this shit. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And you know what's funny? That showrunner, I will not name him, he leaves that off his resume every time. Like, you get, like, the new packet for, like, here's a new show from blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, I know who you are. You didn't, you're trying to pretend you didn't make that show, but I remember it. I see you, even if your your protagonist can't, because she has no eyes. She's blind, also dead. One of the questions we're asking this weekend to everybody is, what is the future of television? And that could be how we watch it, what types of shows we're going to see. Are we going to see more and more television, or are we eventually going to see less and less? Any way you want to answer that question? I think the future of TV is Wally. I think we're all just going to be those people in those pods like this, like having people come to us. Like, I just think that's the future of the future. Though. I guess that's not specific to television. And I'm looking forward to it, quite frankly. I mean, I would have said that there's a contraction coming where they're like, eventually some channels are going to stop doing scripted, you know, like new channels that are trying to get into it now. But then... Um, Direct TV, which I am a subscriber to, I, this is not SpawnCon, but I am, um, added a Scientology channel recently. Ooh. So it's like, maybe there is no end. <laughs> maybe TV can continue like metastasizing. <laughs> like, if there literally is 24 hours of Scientology program to be had, what do I know? I need a burn notice channel. <laughs> I, I'm going to say it. Suits channel. I said it. <laughs> Suits also. <laughs> Wow, did not think I would touch a nerve with suits. She's a duchess now, so show some response. If my mom was here, she'd be very upset with the suits. I'm I'm a little, yeah, we're going to have words later. I passed Gina Torres on the street in New York once. She was gorgeous. Like, I get it. I'm just saying it was not for me. I once hung out with Meghan Markle. (laughs) Now I'm a baroness. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I think... I don't know. I, th- I think that what's the debate we're not having, just to return your thing Ooh, to your yes. thing, is, um, you know, recently Vanity Fair did an article about like critics during the age of peak TV. And of course, there are many different kinds of writing about TV. Like e- every one of us does a different thing. We've done a lot of different things. So there's no like one size fits all. But the fact is that I feel like in, in as I look around, like, there are a lot of great people writing about TV. The number of those people has not hugely changed as much as the amount of TV being made has hugely changed. So what are the arbiters? I do think that, you know, you see this with box office, with movies, the box office will drop off right away or word of mouth is bad. So we're all kind of helping each other navigate like what's good and what's bad. And I do definitely think that it's really fun for me to sh- point out like a sleeper show like Orphan Black or Mary Kills People or a little like a little show that Killing could. Eve. Killing Eve. Like when critics are kind of all banding together and be like, this is special. I love, I love that. Because, um, you know, Westworld's going to be fine. And I, not that it, I, 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 I like writing about that too, but like 
it's those littler shows that you really want to kind of fight for. It can be harder to do that now. I just think the debate we're not having is, are there enough people writing about TV and is that writing and coverage and assessment helpful to all of you? I don't know. Um, well, we should. Is it helpful to you guys? <laughs> yes. One, one Please question. say yes. Please say yes. Okay, so <laughs> the question you were asking, is there enough TV critics? I would argue it would seem that anybody can be a TV critic now, right? Because everybody can start a podcast, everybody can write a blog, and they can do it for free because they're going to, they want to be a TV critic and they want to put their work out there for free. So is that make your job, do you, do you welcome that? And what advice do you give to somebody who's saying, hey, I want to get into TV and they have a blog that they're not getting paid for, right? So how do they transition into a paid job? You're like, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, the editor should answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because I go to talk to journalism classes and stuff, and it's just that, like, old saw, like, go back, don't do it. Like, it's just, it's it's hard. Like, in not just writing about television or the arts or any kind of job like that, just journalism jobs. I mean, talking about contraction. Like, it's just very difficult. And once you set a precedent, and I say this to all writers, if anybody's a writer in the room and whatever you want to write, don't do it for free because you're setting that value on what you do. I mean, the only, that whole sort of like you can't eat exposure thing, that's yeah. real. Like get, get paid something somewhere, even if it's, you know, a penny a word for like a, a freelance thing, because that doesn't help anybody like coming up behind you to do that. I think I just, it's hard to give advice because so often what happens is that in any industry, it's happenstance. You happen to be in the right place at the right time to talk to the right person with the right idea. And I mean, I don't know, how, mo how did you get started? I well, you were a real reporter, right? In the age of dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I came up through kind of a weird mixture of alternative press and regular J school kind of connections. I went to um, Medill Journalism School and I'd been freelancing before that. And I transitioned into writing about TV and entertainment at a, at a, at a mainstream newspaper. But you had written about like crime, fire, mafia before that, right? You had been a regular reporter? Oh yeah, some to some degree. Uh -huh. I got the I did the basics, and then I was like, "That's boring, um, <laughs> dangerous, and scary." How about TV? Um, I also wrote about a lot about music and film for a long time. Back when I went out and like left my house, um, it's it is hard. Uh, I think I, Tara actually. I mean, you're the best the example of here of somebody that created something I mean, for yourself in the space that we're talking about. Yeah, that but ended every... up being really successful because we all yes. love television without pity, right? Yeah. I was such a fan. That's true, but everything is different now. I mean, at the time that we launched it, we were part of a network that was just like, a, it was called Chicklick, and it, there were a number of like female-run sites. The, all we had to do was like hang out a shingle and they put ads on our site. And they paid well in those days too, not like now. Um, so I don't know what people would do now, truly. I, I honestly don't know what I would tell someone who was starting out because to me, like... I mean, even if you are just writing a blog for yourself, for your own entertainment, like at least that's a proof of concept that you can take to an editor and say, I want to pitch you this idea. Here are some examples of things I've written before. Yeah, I'm not saying don't black have a personal blog. I right. think that's a great idea. If you anybody that wants to write should just write. Yeah, don't write like, for free for anyone that's going to make money off exactly. of you. Okay. Don't that's, give that's somebody something that yeah. you could either have for yourself or make money. For I them. worked for Huffington Post for five years, and people are always like, you do that for free? I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> No, I don't. I mean, I did have a lot of unpaid bloggers, which I think they've now done away with that. And yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing is that 
as TB has gone through all these changes in, in turmoil and evolution, so have the places that we've worked and built in some cases. So it's really, um, I mean, I feel like we don't talk about that a lot, but all of us have been through massive places of work or work situations or professional earning situations that have been through massive change, if not wrenching turmoil and, and just stress-inducing stuff. So we definitely do have jobs that are fun, you know, we're so fortunate. We're I mean, so fortunate. I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think hard. still attaching yourself, there are fewer legacy media places, print and online, not just print. But if there is any way, I mean, the best way always is, and I'm going to regret saying this, pitching the editor. Um, <laughs> like actually going and to her the email that is. has <laughs> undisclosed at sarah.rodman at ew.com. Um, but I mean, attaching yourself to something that is a known quantity that if you want to get paid, because having your own blog is, is a great thing, and I support that, but if you actually do want to get paid. But I think part of the problem now too, though, is if you create something and it's great, it's gonna be probably difficult for you to go from that to saying, I'm going to pay you $100 to like recap an entire season of something. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just the, the economics of it are terrible. You mentioned that one of the best things about a critic is kind of championing those shows that maybe people aren't watching. So what are some shows in your career that you're like, why did people not watch this because it was amazing or that you felt like you really had to champion? The first show that comes to mind isn't something I got to write about, but did anybody ever watch a show called Phenom? It was about like a tennis pro. <laughs> like it was just one season. She was so good on that. Um, but I was young when I watched that. I don't know. What's something that you have done? Um, one that, you know, there's the heartbreak of Terriers, which we should have a panel just about that, right? Just like just Terriers grief that is real and ongoing. Um, two, two big ones for me actually got two seasons. It was Enlightened on HBO. Oh, yeah. Which I, I just strongly encourage you. It's, it's one of those shows where the storytelling, what the show was about and the aesthetics of it, like each show was a perfectly formed short story. Um, it just... I thought it was exceptional, and I just feel like HBO, like, that's pocket change for them. Like, that's, like, one-tenth of a dragon. Like, I don't even... <laughs> I don't get it. It just made me sad when that went away um, because, you know, it had the great, great Laura Dern. You know, Mike White is the showrunner, and I feel like, wow, those people are so talented. Um, and a lot of other actors did great work on that show. I think some in some cases, like, career-defining, career-best work. Um, like Luke Wilson, he was incredible in that. Um, another one for me was really recent, and the, the wound is fresh, but one Mississippi. Um, please go to Amazon and watch that. I think, you know, speaking of topicality and engaging with current politics, that the overall, you know, plot of plots of one Mississippi was not engaging with people who perhaps voted differently than myself in the Deep South. <laughs> That wasn't like the whole point of it, but like it was a show in which it was like, how do people who are very different politically, socially, religiously, how do they love each other and get along and also grapple with some really difficult family history? And I, I guess it's one of that new style comedies in which it was like funny, but also like now I'm sobbing. <laughs> And I just felt like that was so beautifully made and it just had so much more road to run. And again, there was a regime change at Amazon and um, I'm, I'm mad at Amazon right now, so. 
Meh. I mean, this feels like a bad answer because it did get three short seasons, but I wrote about every episode of Playing House, and I mourn it still. <laughs> it was one yeah. that we talked about on the podcast, too. It was such a good show. And, the, good and its show. predecessor, Best Friends Forever, which also like was just lost in the shuffle at a bad period in NBC that like should have run for 10 seasons and didn't get a chance. Mm-hmm. I want to open it up for questions real quick, if anybody has a question before I keep asking. Yeah, and there's a microphone. If you could step up, I believe, to the microphone right in the front. It's right in front of you. Y'all can make a line. Oh, you have a notebook. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, great. Um, so say like you're watching a show that you think has potential um, to be great, and then all of a sudden it turns bad. Like at what point or what factor do you think causes that? So, so like for education purposes, I'm a writer. <laughs> Don't want my show to be bad. <laughs> It gets off. It gets off to a good start, mm-hmm. and at some point, it like takes a turn for the worse, mm-hmm. and then never recovers, or just oh, yeah. is, like has a bad arc. Because I mean, yeah. I think we can all go to Landry with the pipe and say <laughs> like this was not a great idea that was generated from outside of the writers' room. I feel like a lot of the times that when something goes bad, it's because it's not always, but some of the times it's like notes from the network, like mm-hmm. make something sexier, have mm-hmm. a murder, and because it's not the showrunners original idea maybe they are executing it to the best of their ability because they have great integrity and they want to do but maybe they're not because Mm -hmm. it's not their idea and they think it's crappy and so they don't do a good job but either way if it's if it's dissonant to what you have done up until that point then ask yourself why are you doing it Mm -hmm. i guess That's a perfect answer for what I was gonna. I, I was thinking in the abstract of like when a person makes a decision for a dumb reason that's clearly only for the purposes of a dumb plot. That's the ultimate example of that. But I'd also say when it becomes clear that the show doesn't have any internal rules and anything can happen, like this is more for a sci-fi or fantasy show, but like when people can come back from the dead, when you can have exact doubles of anyone, like when when it's just clear that nothing matters, that's when I'm like, I don't care. What happens it's hard next? To have anything stakes. could happen. So we're back to Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Jeez. Which in a weird way, like does have rules, but I, I definitely, you know, I think... Every show evolves, and some of, some of my favorite shows have actually evolved quite a bit from the beginning to the end. But I feel like on day one of the writers' room of the Good Place or the Leftovers, like they knew what they they had some core ideas. And the writers that I've talked to have been like, you have to go into your story knowing what you will cling to the tightest, and it has to fit with that somehow. And it you know it doesn't. It could be a comedy, it could be a drama, it could be light, it could be dark, but if you just, when someone suggests something or when a fellow writer or someone in the, you know, part of the team brings something to you or you have an idea, just think, okay, what are my core ideas or values for this show? Does it, will it amplify them and make them better or will it, is it just too far away from where, and again, I, I don't want to give you the impression you shouldn't change your ideas if like evolve and it, it I think shows really get into bad places if they don't evolve sometimes. But it's more like cling to what matters for this story for you mm-hmm. and then just add to that as you see fit. Yeah, those are two good examples where the, the higher the concept, the clearer you have to be in your own mind as a show creator of like what that concept really is. Yeah, and they both have thrown overboard things that didn't really work. Like the good right. place had flashbacks. Now we don't have those. We didn't really need them. Mm-hmm. Leftovers was too grim 
in season one. And I feel like in season two, they basically were like, oh, okay, we still know what matters to us, but we're going to approach it in a more varied way. And I, I think it paid off. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was really helpful. Thank you. Have you guys, as she walks up, ever, do you, as a TV critic, ever want to be a TV writer? <laughs> I mean, I could write the hell out of, like, some super formulaic. Like, she's a mess by night, but during the day, she's a super hardworking executive. Like, we can all do that. Can but, I, like, can I, I bow down else? to creative people. <laughs> Can I, I mean, certainly as we all sit there sometimes be like, okay, that B plot is terrible and you should have, like, you know, as a fan, you have those thoughts too. I do have to say, I once interviewed a showrunner and I thought I knew where the season was going and I was like, oh, so it's going to be this and this and then you're going to do this and put this together with that and that'll lead to the finale. And she's like, I think you've thought about this more than I have. <laughs> and I think I was right. <laughs> I still look back on that season. I'm like, should have done my thing. I never I mean, want to be a TV writer, but I do often fantasize about being a casting director. I feel like that's my like secret, dumb, useless, unmonetizable in my real life talent. And, and, but by the way, I also want to add that, I mean, I do understand when writers get really annoyed with us as critics when we feel like, you know, we know what they should have done. I mean, in, in a sense, what we're trying to do what, what a good executive will do is like, here's a note, like, this scene didn't work for me because I didn't understand this character's goals. Like, I'm not telling them what words to write or how to rewrite it. I'm just saying this didn't, this bumped me, and I just wish you could do this better. And then they can hopefully course correct. I don't know. Yeah. Question? Yeah. Um, I just finished listening to an audiobook um, of where two TV critics counted down their favorite shows, or the greatest shows of all time, and they decided The Simpsons was the best one. Um, which surprised me. They had a whole argument Wrong. about whether it was Cheers or the <laughs> But I was wondering if each one of you could tell us what you think is the greatest show of all time. <laughs> this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> do you get asked? I would assume Thank you get asked that question often, though. You must I have do, a go-to. Does it change every but day? It's like asking what your like your, the ten records that you would take to a desert island, right? Like over the years, that's going to change. I mean, my two stock answers, I. But I also, was, this is why I don't like sort of like best of lists. These are my favorite things. I don't know that I necessarily think these two things are better than everything else that's ever been made from a structural standpoint and cultural impact. But for me, it's the Mary Tyler Moore show on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Crossover. <laughs> Reboot. I want that now. I mean, the first thing that came to mind, it, it changes for me all the time, too, but I would say The Thick of It, the British show, from, uh, it stands up the best. And, like from, and, and also, I think benefits from having like different numbers of episodes per season. Like British shows get away with so much because they can just be six episodes. But sometimes that show was only like three. Um, so it's on Hulu, I think, still. If you've never watched it, it's really good. It's from the, the creator of um, Veep, Armando Iannucci. It is very good. I think it, mine changes a lot. I think for a long time I said Battlestar Galactica. And as far as anyone outside this room knows, that's what I said today. <laughs> um, I do think that m my husband knows that no show made me cry or moved me or felt more connected to my life than The Leftovers. Last year I sat over there in, um, where Sarah is and did it um, right after the finale, the series finale, a panel with Tom Parada and Damon Lindelof and Mimi Leder, and I just thought 
if I get through this without sobbing the entire time, <laughs> like that'll be great. So I think the leftovers is one that just means a lot to me for sure. Battlestar still, I've been rewatching it and I, I love it a lot, but I think another one that for me is for sure going to be in the Pantheon. I mean, of course I love, you know, Breaking Bad and Mad Men, but I think I'm on a mission to make people understand the level of craft and art that goes into the joy that is Jane the Virgin. That's a great answer. It's so good. That's it. I don't think The Simpsons is a terrible choice from a cultural perspective. I mean, in terms of how much influence it has, how funny it was for so long, that it sustained for so long. I mean, everybody in this room has quoted The Simpsons probably once this week. But it's been so bad since it, it for so been. much longer than it was it's good. True. That's the problem. There's still flashes. There's still flashes. For sure. But I think we're all agreed that Matt and Alan are wrong. <laughs> They're not just here, so they can't fight us. They're not here, so we can say what we want. They're, they're two wonderful people, and we like them very much. Yes. Also wrong. Next question. We, we'll probably take these two. So. Uh, what new show are you most excited about that you really haven't kind of discussed publicly yet? One that's coming on in like the fall, you mean? Yeah. I'm psyched about Jack Ryan. I might be alone in that, but I'm super into it. I get royalties, because that's... Uh, that's my name. And my, my Uncle Jack really was Jack Ryan. And also, why you're most excited about it? Like, kind of what aspect of the show? That... Um, so the Krasinski of it all to start with. Um, he's from a town, two towns over from where I'm from, so I have, like, all this weird hometown pride with him. Like, he's from Newton. I'm from Natick. That's a thing. It's not a, it's not a thing at all. Um, I love the movies. I love that that's sort of like a fungible character, that it's a character that has successfully been played by a bunch of different people. I like that he is coming, like the Quiet Place was such a big pivot for him and it was so successful and I thought it was so great. And I like seeing him like man of action style, but he still gets to be kind of funny too. And um, I like that kind of show. I loved Homeland um, for a long time. And actually recently it's um, I mean, it's been a great show generally. There's, you know, been ups and downs. But it's in that area, which is something I really enjoy. And it's got a good cast. And Wendell Pierce is like a cranky, redemptive arc man. And I don't know, it just, it looks cool. I haven't watched any screeners yet, so I'm going to say uh, season two of Claws and season four of Better Call Saul or what I'm most looking forward to this summer. Yeah, I... Um... I, I'm blanking. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm thinking a little bit about the premieres that are coming up, like June, July, August, get a little bit. Um, what are you excited about? Nice, Mo. Smooth, pivoting. No, I mean, good, I want Good Place to come back. I, again, I think that, like, damn, that show, I love stealth shows. Like, for a really long time, House was an ethics seminar. Masquerading is a pretty good you know, case of the week, medical drama, which I love. It's like, oh, stealthily, it's actually this. And I mean, it's not that Good Place is stealthy. It's pretty open about the fact that it's an exploration of morality and all that and ethics. But it's so it's so willing to be silly. I mean, it kind of like is Bojack Horseman that way. It's like, oh, okay, so clinical depression is real. Also, here's a seahorse that is also <laughs> a clown. Like, it's just... And I, I, I find that it's so human. Like, that's such a human thing to engage with something serious. But everyone has many modes. No one's just all that serious all the time. And my son keeps talking about The Good Place, like, literally daily. He wants it to come back so bad. <laughs> I'm hoping for a middle spinoff with Sue. I would love oh. that. 
I like that. One more question, and we literally have like a minute. So, all right. I was wondering if you'd all be willing to share what is the most recent show you have just quit. Ooh. If, if you're willing to. For me, it was Mr. Robot. We need Robot. a whole hour. I know. Which was yours? Uh, Mr. Robot. Okay. Yeah, I quit that one too, but not recently. Oh. <laughs> I'm so excited about that Queen Freddie Mercury movie, though. Yeah. Mm, yes, me too. See, I stick with stuff, which is why my life is terrible. Um, like, I watch all of Graceland, y'all. That's who I am. Um, <laughs> I, but you know what? I quit Mr. Robot, too, but I didn't quit it recently, either. Um, quit something? I, yeah, I mean, I quit Homeland just to diss your thing. <laughs> I, I find it really hard when I really love to show. Like, House, I actually quit. We're going way back now. But when, it, like, The Office, I quit at a certain point. Sometimes when a show I've had a ton of affection or love for goes awry, I feel like I want to preserve those feelings and not not get into a, a headspace where I'm screaming in my mind for, like, the whole run of that episode. So, yeah, I, I mean, there are some soft quits lately. I will get back to it, but I want to get back to, like, iZombie. I just think the new season was like, I'm not sure what's happening, but okay. <laughs> It, when it wasn't like hard pass, um, I will probably get back on the horse. But sometimes you leave stuff behind just because you're like, you get overwhelmed. So right. I feel but that's like that's a time thing, not a quitting thing. Oh, I have a better yeah. recent answer. SVU, I finally was oh. enough. <laughs> enough of that one. And that was one that I quit and came back to and, and left again. But mm. yeah. It's like smoking for you. Like you I put mean, it down, you pick it it's, up. It's partly an Mo's thing where it's like, how interesting is you know, constantly watching rape victims to me, not very. And also like the, the like glorification of cops, like in this day and age, no, no more. <laughs> Sorry, Marishka. I think maybe more to your point in, in terms of our jobs is what I find anyway, is that if we get like two or three of something and then we watch it and then you decide, you make that decision, I am going to watch this thing or I am not going to watch this thing. And there are so many things where I like, I can't start or else mm. I won't be. The best Stop. feeling is coming across Killing Eve and being like, oh, yeah. I'm going to keep up with this. And then watching it kind of like, I thought it just, it was it was blossomed and it was eight episodes and it was out. Like you didn't feel like punished by like 15 episodes that were five were pretty bad. But yeah, sorry, I'm going over. No, you're good. I also it's quit Succession after one. Now I'm done. <laughs> oh. I just discovered Law & Order SVU like six months ago. <laughs> a lot of catching up to do. Were you in and a I coma? I knew it existed. I knew it existed. I just never watched it. And I'm like, it's amazing. It's um, on USA 50 hours a day. <laughs> when Suits is not Before Suits. <laughs> and after. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I know all of you are going to be on panels throughout this weekend. So we will see you again. Thank you guys for being an audience. And enjoy your next uh, panel here at the ATX Television Festival. Thank you for joining us around the TV campfire. Stay tuned each Thursday for live releases from the festival, in addition to bonus content and exclusive interviews and new original series coming soon. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at ATX Festival and let us know what you think using our official hashtag, hashtag the TV campfire. Please rate and subscribe to the TV campfire on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Season 8 of ATX Festival will be June 6th through 9th, 2018. And for more information on attending, please visit www.atxfestival.com.